0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. We we actually have... A, this is one of the biggest days of the entire year. This is Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is the first day of the first month. Um, that, that might be... Surprising, because that sounds like the new year. So, let's uh, let's tell you the, the the two different two of the many cycles. There are many cycles going on simultaneously. I mean, the way God made creation, it's like when you open up a a watch and you look at all the different tiny gears in the watch. There's so many different cycles, and they're all happening simultaneously, and they're all working with perfection with each other. So, so we're gonna kind of peek into a couple of the cycles right now. We have a new year for years. That means um, Rosh Hashanah, a new year for years. So uh, that's when we say, hey, it's a new year. Okay, that's great. But we also have 12 months in the year. And the first month of the year is actually today. That's, that's Nisan. So, so in other words, you have a different count of the months and the years. So if that sounds confusing, it sort of is. In other words, the, the the 12 months of the year each have a number. You have the first month of the year and the second month of the year, all the way to the 12th month of the year. So, so the confusing part of this is we would imagine it would be like the secular calendar, which would be that the first month of the year would also be the first month of the new year. But it doesn't work that way in Torah. We have a separate cycle for the months and a separate cycle for the years. Okay? So that actually brings us to a very surprising idea, which is that the Jewish new year begins on the seventh month of the year. (laughs) Seven out of (laughs) twelve. Or let me say it even more clearly. The Jewish New Year begins in the middle of the year. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that surprising? It's very surprising. Yeah. So, so anyway, why? Why would the Jewish New Year begin in the middle of the year? So I'll just share with you my, my thought on that, um, which is that, you know, a lot of us get to the middle right? Because the Jewish New Year is happening in the middle of the year. A lot of us get to the middle of a project. We get to the middle of our lives, right? And and we just kind of run out of energy or run out of interest or just whatever. We just tune out. And so right when you're in the middle, that's when you need the most life force in order to propel you through and to make the most out of out of out of the homestretch to just to renew, to renew. And, And so that's why I think all the energy for the new year is coming in the middle of the year. And we have to think about that in our own lives too. You know, time is so valuable. Like if you think about it, all we really have is time. You don't really, I mean, nothing really belongs to us. On some level, even time doesn't belong to us. But if you actually think, you know, you want to make a list of your assets, someone says, okay, what do you got? And the truth is, all you really have is time. And so, so anyway, God sort of like um, breaks down time in all these different ways, in a series of months and in a series of years. Now listen to this. It's going to get deeper, Okay. The years begin in the month of Tishrei. That's when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. The months begin in the month of Nisan. Well, where does the true beginning of the universe take place? In the beginning of years or in the beginning of months? Or let me phrase it the way they do in the Talmud, in Gemara Rosh Hashanah. When did God create the world? In Chodesh Tishrei? in the month of Tishrei, or in Chodesh Nisan, in this month. And there's a debate. Rabbi Yehudah and Rabbi Eliezer debate it back and forth. And each feels as though they have the answer. Now, I'll tell you what Rav Frumer says. Now, remember, Rav Frumer knew the entire Talmud inside and out, the whole Zohar by memory, right? So... So this opinion is coming from a place for someone who really understood the whole Torah. Okay, So we have to take it very seriously and we have to think about it. He says that the inner aspects of the world, the panemius, like the, the, the neshama, so to speak, of the world, was created in Nisan today. Today, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, that's today. That's the soul of the world. The outer aspects of the world right? The body of the world, if you will, was created in Tishrei. That's when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Isn't that interesting? Like a very, very far out take. So that means that today, right now, we are at the birth of the soul of the universe. (laughs) That's what's happening right now. And today something else amazing happened by the way nisan is is the word has the word Nase in it which means miracle so the name of the birth of the soul of the universe is miracles right because the inner essence of everything is miraculous it doesn't just go by the the normal uh natural process right you have the two of them exists simultaneously. You have the normal, natural order of the universe. If you throw up a ball, it falls to the ground. We've got gravity, right? We've got all these different things, the sun rises and the sun sets. You know, at a certain time in the year, the tree is going to bear fruit. This is the natural order of the universe. But simultaneously, maybe even predating the natural order of the universe, you have the miraculous order of the universe. And the two of them have been meshed together by God seamlessly. And yet that miraculous aspect of the universe, which exists and which is alive at all times, is hidden from our eyes. All we see is the natural order. All we see is the outside. We don't see the inside. But when we connect to God, we're connecting to the outside and the inside, and we're activating all aspects of the world, and then anything can happen at any moment. So it's very exciting. Now, listen to this. Today, a lot of amazing things happened. Um, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov was born. There's a, there's a big celebration for today. That's the first day of Nisan. But I'll tell you something uh, historical, even more historical. Today, the Mishkan, uh, the tabernacle in the desert, right, which was the prototype of the base Hamikdash, the holy temple in Jerusalem, that was finished today. And so that's a huge thing, because our rabbis teach that the Mishkan was actually a microcosm of the entire universe, okay, in miniature, in that Mishkan, in that tabernacle, you had a microcosm of the entire universe. Now, there's so many amazing things about this. Amazing, amazing, amazing things, okay? Um, and and we're going to just kind of discuss them. Um, one of them is just the fact that we built it. Like, let's just appreciate that for a moment. God gave us the ability to, with our own hands, make the universe. <laughs> Do you understand? You see, in other words, you have like, this concept of partnership, it, it's so important to understand how central the concept of partnership is in, in in Torah, in the Torah vision of the world. Remember, we say it all the time, maybe the deepest thing I ever heard from Reb Shlomo. He said, if the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? Right? It's... You can't get a better teaching than that. (laughs) If the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? In other words, to me, that's that's shorthand. That's the greatest sort of like one-line summary of the fact that this world, when it was created, wasn't finished yet. God gave us that extraordinary privilege to be partners with him to finishing the world. Now, I'll tell you something. I don't think we've discussed this maybe in a long time. One of the most amazing, amazing gematrias in, 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 in my knowledge is the fact that the word for snake, right? We were saying that the snake in the Garden of Eden represents the fact that the world isn't finished yet and that we are partners with God in terms of finishing the world. Okay, that partnership. Okay, great. So the gematria for the word snake, nachash, is three hundred and fifty-eight. You know what else is Gamatria three hundred and fifty-eight? Mashiach. Now think about that for a moment, because it's mind-bending. You're telling me that the word for Mashiach and snake is the same, hundred percent. You can can do the math. You can do the math yourself. It's three hundred and fifty-eight for both. So now the question is. How is it possible? What is that teaching us? That Mashiach, which represents the ultimate redeemer, right? And the snake, which represents the evil. How could that be the same number? And if you think about it for a moment, it's very logical. The world was created in this unfinished way. What God looked to us to do was to harness the energy of the unfinished aspects of creation, which are symbolized by the snake, if we harness that power, if we say no to the illusions of the world, then the redemption follows. Do you understand? You say no to the snake, and then Mashiach comes. So that that's what we're trying to do. That's, that's what we had the ability to do in the Garden of Eden, right? When when basically all of the souls of humanity all come from Adam. They were all contained within the first person, okay? See, this is going back to this imagery of like when you open up a watch and all of the different gears within the watch, right? Originally, it was all all the souls of the world were in that one gear, but now they're like, billions of gears, all spreading out from that one gear, okay? So, ideally, Adam and Chava would have said no to the snake. They would have harnessed that unfinished, chaotic energy that was in the universe that God purposely put there for us to be able to participate in the creation and perfection of the universe, We would have harnessed that energy, and then we would have gone straight into Shabbos, which is the Messianic era. Remember, the Messianic era has many names. One of them is Yom Shakulot Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos, right? So we were created Friday afternoon, and we would have gone right into the great Shabbos. Now, you want to hear something intense? Something that came to me uh, a while back. One of the first um, mitzvahs that children learn about, like if, they, if you send them to Jewish school, is returning lost property, right? Because think about it. It's very natural if you're like a, like a five-year-old or a four-year-old or whatever it is. If you find something, why shouldn't you think it's yours, right? It, that would be very normal. So, so, so one of the first things that they teach in school is a mitzvah called Hashavas Saveda," which means that if you find something that's not yours, you have to return it. If something is lost, if something is lost, it really means, you know, returning something lost. If something's lost, then you give it to the teacher. or You try to ask around which, which one of your friends lost it, right? Hashavas, if you actually look at the letters, you can read that word Hashavas a different way. Hashabbat. It's the exact same letters. <laughs> it it hashavas Aveda returning lost objects actually literally means returning the lost Shabbat Shabbat <laughs> shavas. right? Do you understand? We were created Friday afternoon. We were supposed to go right into Shabbos, which was going to be the Messianic era that Shabbos got lost. That's why returning lost objects (laughs) means returning the lost Shabbos, because that was the very, very first object, so to speak, that was lost. Do you understand? So, like I tell you all the time, just because it just blows my mind, I heard from Rabbi Green that all of human history, these thousands of years, are God just stretching out that air of Shabbos. In other words, we were created before Shabbos, and we were supposed to go right into Shabbos. So God is just stretching out that time for us to fix whatever we need to fix so we can get back into Shabbos. Right? So all of human history, these thousands of years are just that time period, that, that end of the sixth day of creation, just being stretched out. And all of the challenges of life Or God just giving us more and more opportunities in order to make that breakthrough and get to that place that that Adam could have brought us to, you know, Adam and Chava could have brought us to in that initial place. Okay, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to go over that, that because I wanted to communicate to you this idea that from the very, very start of creation, it was all about a partnership, okay? So so that brings us back to Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That brings us back to today. And that's why today is so interesting because we're saying that the, the according to Rav Frommer, the soul of the world, the inside of the world, the essence of the world was created today. And today the Mishkan was finished. Okay, so so what does that mean? If the Mishkan, if the tabernacle in the desert, was a miniature of creation, and we built it with our hands, there you see this idea of us being partners with God in terms of building and perfecting the world. Because it wasn't just a microcosm of the world. Listen carefully. It was a microcosm of the perfected world. That's what we finished today. Now, I want to tell you something intense. Something that um came to me a while back, which is for seven days for seven days before today, okay, so today was the eighth day, the first day of Nisan was the eighth day, and that's that's interesting, right, because eight is the language of miracles in torah, eight means miracles in torah, right, like like i I'm sure you've heard if you take the number eight and turn it on its side, it's the symbol for the infinite. Isn't that cool, right? Nice little overlap there. Um, so, So on the eighth day is the first day of Nisan, the first day of miracles. So what was happening in the seven days leading up to the finishing of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert? What was going on? And what was going on was Moshe Rabbeinu, this is before Aaron officially got his job, right? Aaron officially gets his job as the high priest on the eighth day, all right? So the first seven days, Moshe is actually serving as the Kohen Gadol, okay? And what is he doing? He is putting up the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was made as our traveling, um, you know, Besam Migdash basically in the desert, which means that as we went from encampment to encampment, we had to build it and take it down and build it and take it down. Right? It had to be very portable. So the first seven days, Moshe is putting up the tabernacle, and then he's taking it down. He's putting it up, he's taking it down. Okay. And then on the eighth day, it gets put up for real. Now, why is that significant? And I'm going to add one more detail there's an opinion, you ready for this? That he actually put it up three different times each day. Put it up, took it down, put it up, took it down, put it up, took it down. So the total number of um, assemblies of of the Mishkan, before it was officially done, would be seven days, three times a day. It would be 21. So... Hold that number in your pocket for a moment <laughs> cuz it's gonna it's going to reemerge in an amazing way, okay? But let me tell you another teaching first. So our tradition is the Medrash. The Midrash says that before God created this world, he created and destroyed many worlds. Before God created this world, he created and destroyed many worlds. And I always like to tell you this, um, this piece of Jewish history, which I find so fascinating. Um, in the 1800s, um, when they first started discovering dinosaur bones, um, one of the biggest rabbis in the world was the Teferis Yisrael. He made a, one of the authoritative commentaries on the Mishnah. And when they told him about these dinosaur bones, he was so happy. And the reason why he was so happy was he said, we finally have physical proof for a teaching that the rabbis have been saying for thousands of years. In other words, we finally have proof of a destroyed world that God made before this world. That's how he understood dinosaur bones. And that's how he understood... um, Something that, that other people find very, very challenging because a lot of people are very frustrated by the fact that the Torah doesn't discuss dinosaurs. It's like, where are the dinosaurs? And, you know, Rabbi, uh, or George, Gerald Schroeder, um, writes that there's a phrase God talks about, tainim gedolim, um, and tainim can be um, translated in the Torah as reptiles. And so there is actually a reference in the Torah itself to giant reptiles. That's in the in 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 the account of creation, and of course dinosaurs were giant reptiles. So they're actually for those people who are frustrated by the absence of a, an explicit reference to dinosaurs in the Torah, you, you actually have one, believe it or not. Um, but he gives a, a fascinating other reason why. Dinosaurs aren't discussed because dinosaur bones were not going to be created or rather were not going to be discovered for thousands of years. And so therefore, people would not understand what those things were. And God, the rabbis explain that God put the Torah in a language that people can understand. So in other words, if there were something that just were like totally out of people's experience and they they couldn't grasp it at all. It made sense to withhold an explicit reference to something that was just going to confuse people. That's, that's another thing that George Schroeder says, which I find interesting, right? Um, anyway, so the Teferis Yisrael says these bones, these dinosaur bones, are, are remnants, are evidence of the worlds that God created and destroyed before this one. And actually, contemporary science says, how did the dinosaurs die? Because giant meteors hit the world and destroyed the world, right? The Earth itself, the planet didn't destroy, get destroyed, but life on the planet did get destroyed, which is, you know, legitimate destruction. Isn't that interesting? All right. But well, let's get back to our topic. Our topic is... On the eighth day today, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the month of miracles, the Mishkan was finished. And in the seven days leading up to that, Moshe Rabbeinu put up the Mishkan and took it down. And some say he did that three times a day, totaling 21 times. Okay, But now here's the point. Isn't it interesting that if the Finnish Mishkan represents our world, our contemporary world, Isn't it interesting that Moshe put it up and took it down? In other words, that represents the creating and destroying of worlds. Because the Mishkan represents the world. Moshe put it up and took it down, put it up and took it down. It exactly parallels the process of creation, that God created and destroyed many worlds before this one. Do you hear Do you see the parallel? It's, it's, I, I, I find that like amazing. Okay. But now I promised to tell you about this 21 business. So let's do that. Okay. 21 is the gamatria of one of God's holiest names. Ekia. Right. I will be. And there are certain, if you, if you know something about the 10 spherot, the 10 spherot are like, if you were to take a, an x-ray of the energies of the universe, right? You'd see these 10 different energies. And the highest energy is called Keter. Okay? And that's, the, that's sort of the upper realm of the highest, highest, highest heavens. And the different spherot have divine names of Hashem associated with them. And do you know what the divine name that's associated with the Sphera of Keter, this highest, highest place? It's Echia, the number 21. <laughs> now, what is the whole project of Judaism? What is the whole project of Torah? What are we doing with our mitzvahs and with our lives and everything like that? I told you that the world was unfinished, right? So what are we trying to do? And you know what the answer is? We're trying to fuse heaven and earth. We're trying to bring heaven down to earth. <clears throat> or if you like, bring earth up to heaven. <laughs> or just make them one. Making heaven and earth one. That's 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 what we're doing. That's the perfection of the world. So isn't it interesting, right, that... The way we would express that thought Kabbalistically, in terms of the Sphirot, bringing heaven down to earth, is taking Keter, right, which means crown, by the way, this highest aspect of heaven, and putting it on the head of Malchus. Malchus is this dimension that we live in. That's the lowest dimension. That's the lowest sphere. So we want to take the top, Keter, and put it on Malchus right? And it's actually a nice little visual, because machus is like the earth, so it's like a crown on the head of the earth, right? So so Keter is associated with the name Ekiah, which is 21. And now this brings us back to Moshe Rabbeinu, putting up and bringing down the tabernacle before its official dedication today. He did it 21 times. In other words, when we made the Mishkan itself, it was a miniature of the perfected world. And it had the crown of Keter on top of it. It had that 21. Keter, heaven coming down to earth. Because the Mishkan was a fusion of heaven and earth. That's why when you walked in, there were all sorts of miracles going on all the time. Because heaven and earth were fused together. You know, one of my favorite miracles, maybe it was my favorite miracle in the whole Mishkan, was that when from the altar, a pillar of smoke would go up in the air and strong winds couldn't couldn't alter it. In other words, It always stayed a straight pillar of smoke, even in the face of strong winds. (laughs) And lately in Los Angeles, anyway, we've had like windstorms. And, you know, we're like davening outside still because of Corona. And like tents, like we're, we're like have tents overhead. Tents are flying away. I've We've seen it with my own eyes. And you have to daven with one hand holding the poles of the tent and the other hand, like your, the pages of your, of your sitter, of your prayer book are like flapping around. Like when you experience strong winds and you think of that pillar of smoke just staying straight like an arrow, it's awesome. But that's the supernatural being fused with the natural order. And that's what happened in the Mishkan. That's the idea of Keter, this highest place of heaven, like being merged with the miniature of the earth. Okay. So now I want to talk about you and me. I want to talk about you and me, okay? One of the miracles of, of the Mishkan itself, of the tabernacle itself, is that you had a lot of different people working on it. And they were all working on different aspects of it. And now, like Rep Shlomo would say, you have to open up your heart. Okay? And by the way, you know, the Ramban talks about this. Different people, like, wonder about this. How were we who were slaves in Egypt all this time, all of a sudden, capable? Where did we get the knowledge from? to make this incredibly intricate structure, which the tabernacle was, including like um, all the gold work and the tapestry work and everything like that. You don't see a record of us doing that type of work in Egypt, and in fact, we didn't. So how is it that we became all of a sudden phenomenally, you know, skilled craftsmen in this, in these very esoteric areas of engineering, right? And the answer is, God filled our hearts with the knowledge that that we desired to do it. And that desire within us was a vessel, and God filled that vessel with divine knowledge. And and that's a a life lesson for us, that if you don't know how to do something, if you really want to be able to accomplish it, You have to begin with a desire and that desire creates a vessel and once you have the vessel it can be filled with the most exalted insights and knowledge. And that's what happened to the Jewish people and that's how we were able to build this microcosm of this dimension that we live in. Okay. So here's, here's the question. If everyone is working on it separately, and we're all basically doing it all for the first time, it's not like, oh, you know, we're just turning out skyscrapers. We know we're master engineers. We know how to do this. No, no, no. No one's ever done this before. Everyone's working separately on their own different part of the Mishkan. And now here's the point. It all fit together perfectly. <laughs> Everything fit together perfectly. Perfectly. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And it goes deeper than that. Because all of us fit together perfectly as well. You see, this past Shabbos, we read two Parshas. Vayakel and Pukude. Vayakel means to gather together, Right? Pekude means to count. Now think about that for a moment, because they're contradictions. And they're often read together, these two parshas, like we did this year. Vayakel means everything is coming together as one, which was miraculous. Pekude means that we're separating separating out each individual part, and we're counting it individually. And again... This is talking about us, that each one of us has two aspects. One, we have our role in the communal structure. And we're not even fully realized until we express ourselves within the context of the community. On the other hand, we're individuals with separate talents and separate personalities apart from the structure. And each has value. Each has value. And so every one of us has to be able to appreciate our own specialness and our own uniqueness. And we also have to repre- we also have to appreciate the specialness and the uniqueness of the community that we fit seamlessly into. And now here's the other thing. There are no extra parts. Like when you get something from IKEA and you build it, there are always extra parts. <laughs> this is the amazing thing about God. He didn't make any extra parts, and He knew where every single part went. So, you—if you exist, you're part of the structure. If you exist, not only are you part of the structure, but this. The structure is not complete without you. It doesn't work. You know, if one part of the Mishkan was missing, heaven wouldn't have come down to earth. So you're needed, each one of us is needed to make heaven come down to earth. Isn't that amazing? And without you, it doesn't happen. So, so let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Because what this is saying is not just that all of us are essential. But, but we have to understand what it means that all the parts fit together. It means that everything that's happened in our life played a crucial role and continues to play a crucial role in our completion, because on a very deep level, each one of us is also a mishkan. It's not just the communal aspect of the mishkan. Do you understand? Each one of us is a mishkan. Now let me let me tell you something. This is a Torah from the Rishon Rebbe, um, and he. He asks a question on a verse in the Torah and then says something very deep. You know, the Talmud teaches that any verse that begins with the word va'yehi means something bad's going to happen. Okay, it portends something negative. So and by the way, va'haya any the same this same section of the Talmud says any section that begins with the word va'haya Something good's going to happen. Okay, good. So, but vayyehi something negative. So let's talk about a vayyehi moment. So in parshas Shmini, which means the eighth day, and then what's it talking about on the eighth day? Today, Rosh Chodesh Nissan, where we are right now, when the when the Mishkan was finished. Okay, so so this was a huge celebration. The rabbis teach that Hashem celebrated today as much as He celebrated when He created the entire world. Okay? So really, today is a giant day, Anasa. Um, in fact, the whole month of Nisan is considered a Jewish holiday. We have Pesach in it, but um, we don't say Tachon in the entire month. And Hasidim will walk around with their Shtrimalach, um, right? There were their Shtrimals the, the whole month of Nisan, many. Okay, so this whole month is a holiday. Okay, so so if if this eighth day was so great, why, when it talks about it in the Torah, does the verse describing today begin with the word Vayahi, which portends something negative? It's a good question. Listen to the Rishon Rebbe's answer. Unbelievable, like a soul-shaking answer. Okay, he says, you know why it begins with vayehi? And it has the word vay, like oy right? What, what, what was the sad part of the completion of this mishkan? The original Rebbe says each one of us was supposed to be a Finnish mishkan. And I that it had to be a building. In other words, the destiny of humanity itself is that each one of us is going to reach this level. And ideally that should have happened. If we hadn't had the whole incident of the golden calf, that would have been the case, each one of us. See, I'll tell you something this Farno says, in the end of days, each one of us is going to become a Mishkan again, or maybe for the first time. We're going to reach that point. We are, it's, it's the destiny of humanity, okay? now how will that manifest itself just in terms of the here and now halakha? Well, you had something vis-a-vis sacrifices, um, these offerings that were brought in the mishkan, right? In the the tabernacle, in the the temple. And if you read Sefer Breshis and you follow the the journeys of the patriarchs and matriarchs, you'll see that after certain events, they 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 sort of like honor these events. They sanctify these events. They give thanks to God by by creating an altar. They build an altar and they they make offerings and everything like that. So in in sort of um, the language of the Talmud, that's called uh, a bama Kitana, a bama kitana, which means a private altar, right? Now, once the base of Migdash was established in Yerushalayim, once we had a central place to bring offerings, Bama Katanas were outlawed. In other words, we now have a place. We have an official national place to do this. Don't go rogue. Don't be kind of making your own altars like in your backyard and whatnot. You know, it's sort of like, not allowed. Only in the base of Migdash. Okay, great. But now listen to this. In the end of days, each one of us is going to become a mishkan again, which means that the we're going to be able to have bama katanas again. Because each one of us is going to have the status of bringing down the shekhinah again. And that, isn't that cool? That's very cool. So, so you know, most, most people... Um most rabbis understand that the that the that the tabernacle that we're you know talking about today that really it was a fixing for the sin of the golden calf so so had we not done the sin of the golden calf and had to make this structure, we would have been the structure you get it kind of got this uh You know, like we're talking about Erev Shabbos getting stretched out. That was a big stretching right there, historically speaking. But but again, I want to return to a point we were discussing earlier and go deeper, okay? Each one of us is a Mishkan. And we have to understand that all the different parts of our life fit together perfectly. Because who are we? What are we except the sum total of our experiences? So if I'm a Mishkan, then it has to be that all of the events of my life leading up to making who I am right now have to be exactly in place and all fit together. This is why it's so important to let go of past trauma. Because when you look at it this way, you realize there was a role for it. You know what? You know what? When you burn something on the altar, it's fire. Don't stick your hand in there because it's going to hurt. But how's the offering going to go up? Got to set it on fire. But don't stick your hand in there. In other words, even the fire, even the, even the trauma has shaped us. And we have to allow the positive aspects of it, the offering which is rising up, to take place. A lot of people are just sticking their hand in the fire and instead of allowing the fire to bring the offering up. Stop sticking your hand in the fire. (laughs) Just stop it already. Understand that that was a part of building who you are. Okay. So so it, it goes even deeper, though. Because let's talk about past lives right now. Let's talk about reincarnation. So it's not just, I'm not just shaped by the events of my growing up within this lifetime. I'm also the culmination of all my previous lifetimes. And all of that is going into the building of this Mishkan that I am. And you know, the Baal Shem Tov talks about a court case, And this court case is someone um, accuses someone else of owing him money. Okay. And the other guy doesn't owe him money. He's making it up. You owe me money. And the other guy is like, I don't owe you money. And the guy who says, I don't owe you money is correct. He does not owe him money. And so the guy who says, you owe me money, takes him to court. And the judge, this is a Torah court. The judge rules, you know what, you owe him money. You got to pay him. He's like, uh, this is injustice. And he pays the man money. So the Balsham Tov says about this something very, very interesting. He says, you know what, in a previous lifetime, the guy really did owe him money. <laughs> and that Past lifetimes are being resolved in a way that in with our eyes in this world looks like injustice, but it's actually divine justice going on. And he says the person who took the money falsely, who falsely claimed the money, that he himself is going to require a fixing. Okay, so that guy who made it up in this lifetime, doesn't get away with it. But nonetheless, you see how all of the parts are coming together in a way that that we can't see with our eyes. And this is called Yichud. Yichud means oneness. It means that as events are happening, even when someone is getting stolen from, that somehow there's justice and correctness to that, that the oneness of God is being revealed. And the oneness of God is actually being revealed every second of every moment in creation. That if you take a snapshot of every single moment in creation, you'll see if you have the eyes to see how everything fits together absolutely perfectly and is testifying to the oneness of God. This is called Yichud. Yichud comes from the word echad, which means one. It's a very exalted concept. But now let's kind of switch lenses for a moment. Every event, not just in our personal lives, not just in our past lives, But historical event in the history of the world, all of those events are fitting together absolutely perfectly. I mean, in in our own days, you know, or or in the historically speaking, in a blink of the eye in the very recent past, you had the establishment of the State of Israel. And, you know, I, I heard from Rabbi Beryl Wein, just an amazing, amazing story. He said that Theodor Herzl, Theodor Herzl was a secular Austrian journalist. Or maybe, I think he was Austrian. Maybe he was Swiss. I think he was Austrian. Um, and, you know, he he understood that the Jewish people need uh, a land for themselves, Israel, like, you know, like we were given. And, um, you know, good luck just trying to start a country. <laughs> Say, hey, will you guys uh, vacate this territory that you control and raise taxes from and all the rest? You know, we want it. And, you know, it's not happening. Jewish people haven't had their, their own land for 2,000 years. So, Theodor Herzl was amazing. Like He was amazing. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give up. He wouldn't give up. And he tried to get a meeting with the Kaiser of Germany for something like three years. And finally, you know, this is the king of Germany, right? Finally, he gets a meeting with the Kaiser. It's amazing that he even got the meeting. And the Kaiser tells him, this request that you have, that the Jewish people should have their own independent country in Israel. This will happen when all the empires of the world world fall. It's not going to happen until all the empires of the world fall. (laughs) Because remember, the British Empire, which was a thing, had part of Israel. The Ottoman Empire, which was a thing, had part of Israel. The German Empire had a thing, which was also part of Israel. And after World War II, all the empires of the world after World War One and, and World War II, all the empires of the world fell. Something that was like, he was basically telling him, when hell freezes over, that's when you're going to get what you want. It's never going to happen. And then it happened. So, so not only that, not only that, I'm just talking about how all the pieces fit together. Not only that, but this is really the point that I want to get to. All of a sudden, this very hard to understand organization called the United Nations gets created. <laughs> I say very hard to understand because on paper, it seems great, but you know, I don't know why they give us such a hard time. But, but anyway, you know, I mean, they're so idealistic. I mean, what could be better than all, all the nations coming together to work together against Israel? <laughs> like, what? Like, I was with you. All the nations get together. I'm with you. To work together, I'm with you. Against Israel? Okay, now you lost me. So we understand what their true nature is from decades and decades and decades of like, you know, very, very, you know hostile behavior. So how could it be that this hostile organization, one of the first things that they do is that they vote for the existence of the state of Israel? Do, do, do you understand how this is absolutely miraculous? And do you see how God put it in into this world in the most phenomenal way? Through the agency of nature, the natural order. All of a sudden, God fabricates this thing. Okay, we'll call it the United Nations. Let's call it the League of Nations. No, no, no. I changed my mind. Let's call it the United Nations. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the stories of how the nations voted, I mean... Amazing stories how the nations voted. So I'm just talking about how all of history fits together. And that's also going on with the Mishkan. But you know something? I want to go even deeper now. I want to tell you something that I learned from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Yishvitzer Rebbe. Okay? He said... That when the people, when each person was working on the Mishkan, the person working on the parts of the Holy of Holies was saying, I wish I was as holy as the person who were working on the planks of wood. And the person on the planks of wood who was working on those were saying, you know, It's probably true I'm not even holy enough to be working on these planks of wood, but you know what's in my heart? I wish I was working on the Holy of Holies. So each person, while they were putting together the part that they were working on, was valuing and respecting the work that the other people were were doing and saying, I'll never be holy enough to do what they're doing. Each person who was working on their part was looking to every single other person and saying, I'm, I'll never be holy enough, or I wish I was holy enough. I wish I was holy enough to do what they are doing. So I just want to tell you how I understand that. Do you understand how the Mishkan itself was invested with this energy of expansiveness, because each person was was looking and respecting every single other person and all the other parts that they were building and i wish i was holy enough to build that part i think just in terms of the the structure the 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 the, the, the physical thing itself it puts such expansiveness into it now, I'm using that word expansiveness very purposefully because we see two very expansive things about the Mishkan. And again, this was the prototype of the Beis Migdash. What was true about the Mishkan was true about the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. The rabbis teach that when there were the three times of a year pilgrimages, that the Besa Migdash would be filled with, you know, just masses of people. And, and that, that according to the laws of nature, the building should not be able to fit that many people, especially when they bow down, right? Because when you bow down, like when you're standing up straight, you're taking up very little room. When you bow down, you're taking up a lot of space. It says when the Jews bow down, somehow, miraculously, there was room for everyone. In other words, that expansiveness that went into the building of the temple itself, you actually would see the space expand. But not only that, even, even, even deeper than that. What was the Mishkan? The Mishkan was really this portal attaching heaven and earth. You know, it says in the Torah that when Yosef and Binyamin, right, the two brothers were finally reunited after the whole story of Yosef, you know, pretending to be, you know, this Egyptian and putting the brothers through all these different steps for them to be able to do tshuva um, for having sold them. When Yosef and Binyamin finally were reunited, it says they cried on each other's necks, and if you look at the Rashi there, it says that, that 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 the neck symbolizes the Mishkan. Now, why? And they were crying over the destruction, over over the over the holy temples, okay, in Shilo and the base Hamikdash in Jerusalem. The Mishkan itself, by the way, was never destroyed. Isn't that interesting? This this thing that we've been talking about all day today was never destroyed. It's somewhere, it's somewhere, it was never destroyed. So, so, so what does it mean that the Mishkan is the neck? Well, what does the neck do? It connects the head with the body. You know what your head is? That's where your brain is. That's where your mind is. That's the seat of your soul. That's heaven. You know what your body is? That's earth. Your neck connects heaven and earth. The Mishkan is the neck. It connected heaven and earth. And you know what? It was the filled with expansiveness. You know why? Because it took everything that's limited and controlled and locked in and defined by the natural order, and it just expanded it out in the most heavenly way. And lifted up all of our prayers, and just transformed everything, right, in this expansive way. Okay, so we're just gonna we're just gonna end with one of the most special teachings I ever heard, and I heard this for the first time from uh, and Shira Smiles, and I love it so much. You know, if you look at what went into the Mishkan, one of the major elements of it were these tapestries. And um, have you ever seen a tapestry? It's like there's so many stitches and they're so small and everything like that. But when you stand at a distance, you see that it makes this like amazing portrait, like there's this amazing imagery. But have you ever seen the other side of a tapestry? (laughs) It's like our, it's chaos. It's like just threads and threads and threads and you can't tell what the picture is and it just looks like the biggest mess in the entire world. That's where we live. We live on the other side of the tapestry. All we see is the chaos of it. But the day is coming. The day is coming where we're going to be able to see not only the big picture but to see that every stitch was exactly in its right place at the right time. Every event in our lives was exactly right. And if you want to be a Mishkan, if you want to be a Tabernacle, if you want to sort of like jumpstart that process, which is the destiny of humanity, anyway, we're all getting to that place, we're all going to be holy temples individually. But if you want to jumpstart If you want to jumpstart that process, be expansive. Be expansive. You know? What does that mean? Let go of that past trauma. Stop making God so small. You know, rip Shlomo would talk about, like, you're walking down the street, you see a homeless person, maybe you have $5 in your pocket, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know. But you have a moment to be infinite. Just you, you take it and you give it. You kind of go beyond yourself. Anytime you connect beyond yourself, you're putting your, you're putting yourself in this place of expansiveness. And you're absolutely becoming that portal connecting heaven and earth. Okay. Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sacks Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sacks Spiritual Tools. Thanks for listening.